to another episode of Speaking Lawn, the official podcast of streakinglawn.com. Once again, my name is Pierce. And once again, I've got Zach with me. Just Zach with me. But it's better when it's just Zach with me, honestly. Don't don't we think? Absolutely. It's back to the the good old days of of my first year when it was just me trying to figure out what UFA football was about and us podcasting back before yeah. we had friends who have now alienated by saying it's better when they're not here but um, yeah exactly they don't listen yeah that's true the truth hurts too it's better to be honest um <laughs> we're here of course to talk about the who's um both of us were under the weather last week and i think are still feeling some of that so apologies in advance for uh the frog in my throat but that explains why we didn't immediately record um a reaction to the virginia football team's biggest road upset ever is is an easy thing to say that is statistically true i if, if we're yeah. going by rankings um you know and we could even get into the historical data of what would constitute the biggest virginia football upset win <laughs> ever but regardless if you're listening to this you already know that the who's beat unc on the road who was a top 10 team they've since of course lost to georgia tech which i think all of carolina fandom had sort of circled as like we lose to georgia tech every year this one scares me where we've got all the mojo and instead virginia took the mojo from them and they just lost to Virginia twice or lost to a Virginia like team twice. So this ties yeah. in, of course, to uh, the Georgia Tech game coming up for the Who's soon. But uh, we're also um, here to talk about the Miami game where, um, you know, the Who's put up a great effort, had a chance to win it, had a number of chances to win it um, and, and you know, lost in overtime. So a couple of games, including a, a, a remarkable, massive upset, but even the, the pair of games, though they weren't both wins, I've really done a lot to, as we were saying going in, we need something to to change the conversation about this program, about the coaching staff, um, not necessarily about is this team going to make a bowl or not, right? But now the the there's something to build upon, and the conversation is totally different than it was two weeks ago. Even though it was just one win um, and one loss, I you know I think the play. Uh, that they showed in Miami was enough to keep that conversation going in a positive way. So we weren't here to to giggle and laugh and scream about this upset, but we're still, of course, very excited about uh, beating Carolina. So Zach, take me back a week, and uh, you know, just the the immediacy of this like weight being lifted off the program and the fans. Coupled with how freaking hilarious it is that it's Carolina, of course. I mean, next to Virginia Tech, if you're talking top 10 teams, you can completely ruin their year by beating, I think we would say, Hokies and then UNC. Take me yeah. to your thoughts following that that game. That, that James Jackson interception seals it, and Zach feels... I... Relief. I, I just... <laughs> I think you said it. Um... Candidly, I don't think that there was a moment in that game that I believed Virginia was going to win until not only till James Jackson picked it off, but until I saw the replay of it not hitting the ground. Um, That's true. I, I think and I don't even live. You're sort of like, I think he got it, but no yeah. one knew for sure. And then he the did. He like tucked it like that, yeah, was, yeah, yeah. that was a nice that was, you know, um, regardless, though. And I don't even mean that as a shot at 
the team or the players, just my own pessimism in in a big way. Um, Yeah. I mean, I just, yeah, I mean, it was, it was incredible. It, 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 and, and listen, like however mediocre or just sort of, however much North Carolina falls off from this point forward, I don't really care because Virginia (laughs) are the ones like, we're the ones who ruined it for them. We're the ones who said, Oh, yeah, six and zero. Oh, like, want to win the ACC? Dreaming of the college football playoff? Like, screw you, Tony Elliott owns you. Um, not so fast. And so, yeah, you gotta, you gotta embrace it. <laughs> I don't know um, if one win constitutes hey, owning hey, another. Hey, but, hey. but certainly Virginia is in Mac Brown's head, uh, and probably always will be. That's for sure. Yeah, and it just—I mean, it's just—it's fun to see. And I know that this we're also coming off the back of the Miami loss, which I think was just as as positive as you felt about the North Carolina game. I think you still felt that positivity and sort of like that like optimism in the Miami game, just because and because it's a superior opponent. It was brutal to lose in the fashion that they did. And so you sort of had some of those early season frustrations resurface. But at the same time, just that North Carolina win puts everything else in context in such a major way. Because now, rather than saying, this team cannot close games, this team cannot string it together. There's the talent there, but the coaching staff hasn't been able to actually maximize it. And I think that some of those concerns are still true, and we saw some of those problems against Miami come back up. But at the same time, when you can beat a top 10 team on the road that was 6-0, and mm-hmm. um, that just makes it easier to say, okay, if the ball had bounced differently a couple of times, like that JMU game was winnable. That Boston college game was winnable. That NC state game was winnable. Um, I'm probably forgetting something in there. Um, And and while I still don't think you feel like amazing about the status of the the state of the program heading into the off season or heading into the last third of this season, at the very least, it's a confirmation that, um, that there's a chance that this can still go the right way. Because mm-hmm. I think going into that William and Mary game, even coming out of it, when it wasn't that convincing of a win, even though they dominated um, like goal line to goal line, there just wasn't the actual, uh, it didn't show up on the scoreboard for a while. Um, and even coming out of that game, I think everyone was sort of like, okay, like the general vibe I got was, how long is this, like, how long are we going to be sitting in this sort of spot of, oh, man, it doesn't really feel like anything good is happening. When's the shoe going to drop? When mm-hmm. are we going to have to do this all over again? Right. Um, but now, for for so many reasons, this that win just resets the clock. Not only on Tony Elliott, not only on um, the program, even, even I think just for, for the fan base in terms of just, there's just hope. Again, there's there's like even if they finish three and nine or four and eight in this year and, and it's I mean, you got to be tech. But like that aside, um, there's there's at least something uh, to yeah. sort of hang your hat on and say, this is what we got out of this season that was good um, that you can sort of build on moving forward. And I also think that and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just rambling right now, but bottom line, you're starting to see things come together a little bit like they're right. actually able to run the ball whoa should they be doing it as much as they are probably not but hey they're still able to actually do it successfully against legit competition so that's new that's cool like they hadn't done that for a while um the defense isn't paper thin which i don't think has ever been the case just been injuries 
hasn't been amazing um but it's still like against good t- competition so i don't know i it just it's nice to to get that one win it's like the the kevin malone uh gif or gif from the office or it's like it's just nice to win one um that's <laughs> i think that's how a lot of people were feeling after that one yeah would have been amazing to string it together with the miami win and then all of a sudden they're three and five and we're like okay hold on a minute um yeah. with bowl eligibility but at the same time i think that you're still the vibes of improvement are still very much alive yeah i think that's the important takeaway is like you said there were flashes of things that you saw not just hey some bounces went your way this time but some of these players some of these schemes some of the decisions from the coaches have started to gel i mean the the biggest example that's the offensive line like switching in a few different dudes uh getting some guys maybe a little more healthy a little more rested uh whatever it is in the coaching and how they coach them up just performing a lot better against uh, at least if we're going by star rankings um you know next to tennessee the two most talented d lines that they're going to play this year um, you know, Miami, Miami DLI played better than Carolinas did against uh, UVA for sure. But hey, they had them in the game still. And and for where the depth chart is right now, you know, being in the game against those two teams on the road is as good as you could hope for. And, and it's nice to see that, that some of this stuff is coalescing. Some of it has come together. I will be nitpicky and disagree a little bit about an idea of the clock resetting. And I think the, the reason I disagree, why it just sort of sticks with me is like, I don't think there was any Tony Elliott clock this year, no matter what. And I don't think, this this could be a building block to there not being any discussion of it next year for sure and that's a huge positive so i get that but i don't think there's there was like any if we were going to make a coaching change based on results this year um this 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 would need to be followed up by more examples of things sticking uh by more examples of growth and good decisions and, and whatnot so you know let's say they bottomed out against miami again like the clock would still be where the clock is if even if there was even if there were enough um voices and the people who matter to make a coaching change which again i, I don't have any inside info but it doesn't seem likely that there is knowing who these people are and the decisions, the way decisions are made here. So point being, it, it, it is very much a building block to, to again, changing the conversation away from anything about it being a hot seat, away from anything about it being completely hopeless. And when are they just going to have to do this all over again? And that's the only way you have any success with recruiting is by changing the conversation. And so, you know, a tough game against Miami, right? But if you can beat Georgia Tech, and particularly, of course, if they manage to beat Virginia Tech, then we're saying, like, we don't even need to have a, a hot seat clock, right? Like, the conversation is totally different. It's not, is this the right coach? It's, ah, now we see the direction. How's yeah. how's it starting to go? Of course, this could still go either way. We all know that as, as sports fans, right? Like, <laughs> but gosh, is it so much nicer to be watching the games and to care about this program and to see some positivity and positive results and hope whether you think he's the guy or not, like it's still going to be better to watch wins and then go, okay, so maybe it it may, like you said, maybe this will work. Let's see the next steps, but that's really important. 
is building upon that and having some next steps. You know, I could ask you, Zach, what do you think the next steps are? But we just said it. We both just said it. And, and the answer is B, Virginia Tech. And goodness, is that a huge next step to to even have hope for, right? Yeah. <laughs> the Hokies are playing pretty well these days. Um, but more importantly, the ghosts of this rivalry just can't be can't be shooketh off by anyone but Bryce Perkins, apparently. So, you know, it's it's a lot to ask. And I'm curious what will happen to the conversation with this let's say they beat georgia tech but then lose out you know or let's say they don't even beat georgia tech let's say that's it there are no more wins you know duke obviously looks very beatable so let's let's not forget that there's potential there but uh i don't know there's a lot there's a lot of directions for it still to go it's nice to at least see the potential to have the the conversation go in a positive direction though yeah, I mean, you, you make a good point on, on the clock part of it. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. It, it's it becomes now sort of a matter of, I mean, UVA is favorite against Georgia Tech by two points. And like, yeah, okay, yeah. if you if you say like, oh, three points because they're at home, then on a neutral, but still they're favorite. Like, yeah, that's a big deal. And now I think it becomes you have to win that one. Mm. Just and again, yeah, it's not a it's not a oh, or Tony. Elliot, I almost said Tony Bennett there. Tony Elliot is on the hot seat. Um, it just, if we're, and again, I'm so it, Gen Z, but if we're like okay, positive yeah, vibes. It's yeah. not the hot seat, right? Yeah, it's our, our, is the program just lost to the people who care yeah. about it? Like, yeah. even if they're not going to fire him, people are, if you, you, if you lose, 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 people stop coming, people stop talking about you, people, there's no, uh, even if you keep what would essentially be a dead you know lame duck coach right so yeah. same difference as as far as the wins and losses of the future of the program go whether it means actual staff turner or not so sorry okay yeah no no you're right and and most importantly it's recruiting frankly right. like, like even if you know there's always going to be fans who see a four and eight record and rightfully so we see a four and eight record for a season and say that's not a success and it'd be hard to right. argue with them but at the same time four and eight beating north carolina um, beating Virginia Tech and beating Georgia Tech and saying, hey, we got three conference wins. We beat a top 10 team on the road. We are the second best team in the Commonwealth. Um, and, <laughs> and and just so like, yeah. No, not, well, if they beat Virginia Tech. I said second yeah, yeah, if yeah, they yeah, beat. They would... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> listen, JMU had to, had to go to the wire against my Monarchs too. So like not. not... Your Monarchs? I, I, I went to grad school at ODU. Oh, okay. Yeah, I didn't so, know that. You know, yeah. yeah. Um, anyway. Learn, learn some yeah. backstory. They, and ODU is not the worst team in the country um, or the Commonwealth even. No, and, no, I know. But just regardless, recruiting wise, at least you can start to sell a narrative and the staff can sell a narrative of an upswing of, okay, first year, sort of a wash, obviously major tragedy having to deal with that even in the face of that um not that they should utilize that for marketing purposes not not what i'm saying but Mm. at the same time like they were able to build something positive in year two even when they just didn't yet have the guys and then they can start to maybe get in a in the 2025 recruiting class start to build some momentum because I mean, let's be real. There just hasn't been very much recruiting momentum, even if, I mean, I will say there have been a lot of true freshmen that have impressed on this team 
You know, like mm. they, there have been contributors. I mean, Sedarian Harrison, I know he's banged up now, which is a shame, but as a punt returner, second team wide receiver, Gene Gibson had a catch, then went down, which sort of speaks to the bad luck that this team has dealt with this season. Obviously, Calandria, obviously Cam Robinson, Caleb Hardy as a safety. Um, yeah. Guys, is Blake Steen? I, I forget what your Blake yeah. Steen is exactly, but yeah. um, at least like that does help the narrative of, hey, like you can come in and contribute now. And even mm-hmm. in the transfer portal, maybe you can start That's, to build yeah. some of that. You, you would know. you would think, right? You, you look at Musket, look at Washington and go, hey, um, you know, if, if you want some opportunity in a power five to get some run with a coaching staff that's building something, this is a pretty good argument um, that you could be very successful in the transfer portal by coming to Virginia. Yeah. And they've got the quarterbacks to, to build for the future. Like you mm-hmm. have probably Musket's your starter next year. I don't know about that for sure. Um, but even if he is, you still have Calandria for, for three years after that, presuming, assuming that they maintain his redshirt this year. So mm-hmm. the pieces are there if they can just win some of the games. And I don't think that, I'm going to say that they should beat Virginia Tech. I don't think that they'll probably be favored in that game. Mm-hmm. But favorite against Georgia Tech, you should win that one. And then if you still won, I don't think you're going to beat Louisville. But if you still won against Duke, great. Honestly, doesn't matter that much to me. Like, cool for vibes it's another win it it erases maybe the boston college loss or something um and then yeah it all comes down to tech like can you get the monkey off the back can tony elliott in his first game against tech say yeah this is not how it this is not how it's going to roll with me at the helm here we're on the way up virginia tech they got lucky in the middle of the season they're not um and then you yeah you keep building from there yeah, I mean, if they could beat Georgia Tech and Duke and they lose to Louisville and Virginia Tech, you're going four wins. You're going, we saw some stuff. Like, they sort of turned it around. Gosh, it would have been nice if they could have beat the Hokies. That's, I mean, that's going to be the conversation. Um, so, boy, it would be nice to avoid that conversation that we're just so, so used to having. But, you know, I want to talk a little bit um, before we switch to basketball about, like, a little bit more about the players, you know, that we saw step up. And we named a few Um but we, we, gosh, we could just go through everybody um, and give them plenty of props. But, you know, Malik Washington, goodness, that play to win the UNC game. I know not the final play, but that scoring drive yeah. uh, where he shook off you know, a half dozen Tar Heels, it seemed like, on his way to the end zone. Uh, obviously, James Jackson's playing great. You had um, Paul, Akira, I'm going to mess up his name, Akira, 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 uh, Akiri. Akiri. Akiri, thank you for um, also making the play of the game by uh, sacking or knocking uh, Drake May's throwing arm when uh, uh, James Jackson got the interception. Uh, Musket playing great. Uh, the, like I said, the O-line is, has come out of nowhere to at least look more than serviceable and actually start accomplishing things. Mike Hollins as his name hasn't come out of my mouth, but all he's doing is scoring touchdowns every time you give it to him in the red zone. So um I you know I hope they're still amped from that because they showed a lot of those flashes to to continue that good. Cam Robinson, great player, true freshman, like you said. To take away some positives from the Miami game and, and say, look, we have some guys that can play uh, at the level that we need and they did so at Miami even though they lost you, you just hope that the, the, this positive conversation continues so who, who else is uh, standing out to you um I, I think that that's I mean Brian Stevens at center has been really solid even mm-hmm. when sort of the rest of the line was not good in pass pro against Miami 
Um, let me pull up the stats real quick. Yeah, Brian Stevens, no pressures allowed against Miami, whereas the rest of the offensive line, not to go negative here, but let up, uh, doing the math, 12 between the four of them. So not great on that front, but but Stevens at center has been huge. I need to look up his eligibility, but um, yeah, he's been a major, major plus, especially since they moved him to center. Um, you mentioned Mike Collins. He's great in pass pro. He's he's just a really nice back to have to be able to trust. You know, and I think that, you know, early in his career, if we if we go beyond just what a what an, an inspiration he is off of it, Earlier in his career was sort of, okay, can this guy be consistent? Can he put it together? Can he get rid of the mistakes? He did fumble out the back of the end zone against UNC, <laughs> but that doesn't matter because they won. So I'm not going to mention it. It doesn't help my narrative. It doesn't you support did it. Mention it. But yeah, but I'm not going to, it's, <laughs> it's erased now um, because I said that I wasn't going to mention mm-hmm. it regardless. He's a guy that you can trust in there. And that's huge. Um, Paris Jones continues to be elusive. Um, I mean, wasn't like, a stand. I mean, he averaged 4.8 yards per carry against UNC and against uh, Miami 6.4, which seems really high. I wish they'd given it to him more than nine times. Um, that's actually something a criticism. I, I would like to see more Paris Jones relative to pace, specifically even outside of the red zone. Um, I'm okay with they're going to put the ball to Hollins in the red zone because he just scores touchdowns. Yeah, all touchdowns. three have been pretty good, but yeah, I, I, Paris Jones is the best runner. Yeah, I think I said that a few weeks ago. I still believe it for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then you mentioned Malik Washington, but just to like reemphasize that. So through what eight games in his Virginia career, he has 68 catches, 935 yards and six touchdowns all time. If you just take his eight game sample, right. And sort of a, the, the history yeah. of UVA football, his 900 and what was it? 35 yards come in at seventh, sorry, eighth all time. Wow. My tweet was wrong. Um, ninth all time, 10th all time. One of the two. I'm getting my numbers wrong here. Uh, 10th all time in receptions. Sorry, the way Wikipedia formats this is very confusing. Uh-huh. And then in touchdowns, okay, he's still outside the top 10. Regardless, in eight games, he is having stats it's that are in, in the top 10 for a single season in UVA football receiving history. And with four games left, I think he's probably going to break Dontavian Wicks's all-time receiving yards record, which was set like two years ago. But still, that's impressive. And that's also another sort of like, I mean, this is a transfer. This is a transfer with one year of eligibility left who, I mean, he was good at Northwestern, but he wasn't this good. He wasn't like ripping apart the ACC as a receiver. So this is a major point for them in sort of the the transfer recruiting market um not to keep bringing it back to recruiting but yeah i mean he's just been insane malachi fields continues to just be reliable consistent that one play he had against miami where he caught the ball like seven yards short of the sticks with a corner in front of him i mean that was not to bring the eagles into it but that was like aj brown-esque like that was just he just like put his i mean that was that was impressive um defensively i think you mentioned cam robinson um Sam Westfall played pretty well mm-hmm. in this game. Had a pick against Miami. Um, second Wood. Second Wood against UNC. Thank you the, for the, being the, wide open against UNC. The Mac Brown play. beater. Yeah. <laughs> Did you see the tweet that I put out about his stats against UNC yes. versus yeah. insane? I won't rattle it off right now, but um, a significant yeah. difference. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In two games versus 26, I think he has more receiving yards and into against UNC, but. 
well, we'll see. We'll see if it continues and, and hope that it does. Uh, the game's at two o'clock uh, on uh, a Saturday uh, at home in Scott Stadium against Georgia Tech. Yellow Jackets coming off their big win over UNC. But uh, today was media day for the basketball team. Zach, basketball. Yeah. It's a week away. I know. Thank goodness that uh, whoever was on Twitter told me that the game's on Monday and not Tuesday because I would not have shown up to JPJ Dude, on Monday. That would have been a problem. Yeah, I would have showed up on <laughs> Tuesday. Like, what's going on, guys? Where is everybody? Um, you Gen Zers don't keep a calendar. It's, uh, it's a Okay, it's always on Tuesdays. Right, Caroline will back me up here. It's all the the first game of the season has always been on Tuesdays, and I need some sort of in, investigation into this. Regardless, yes, today was uh, local media availability. I did not make it down to Charlotte last week for the ACC media <laughs> tip off because I had class. Um, but yeah, so studious. Uh, I know, I know, very committed uh, to what's important, Pierce. Not not mm. you know UVA basketball. I never, I definitely didn't write an article in class today and publish it. That aside, um, yeah, I don't know. It's pretty exciting. Uh, we got to talk to, to Tony Bennett for 20 minutes. I think you can find that online if you want to watch that. He laughed at one of my questions, which was slightly embarrassing. Uh, but other than that, it was a um, stupid question. Or... I asked him if this team might be built to run in transition a little bit more because they have sort of like playmakers defensively. And he goes, every year you guys ask me, are we going to run more? Are we going to run more? Which is a fair <laughs> criticism. Um and he gave a very Tony Bennett answer, but I do think I, I I do think that this team might run a little bit more with Dante Harris and Reese Beekman as guys who are going to create life ball turnovers. And while he said he doesn't think that the team is is um, a great shot blocking team, I think it actually could be pretty solid with Ryan Dunn and and Minor, while not having necessarily the size of a true center in the ACC. I think he could bring that. I think Blake Buchanan, if he gets minutes, absolutely could. Um, oh. But outside of that, yeah, I mean, I, I think big takeaways for me were um, Bennett talking about the fact that they could have a rotating starting lineup, um, depending on the opponent, depending on who's playing well game to game. I think obviously you probably your three staples are um, Beekman, McNeely, and Dunn. But then I think those two spots are probably a little bit up in the air. I think probably Harris and Miner get the start um, against Tarleton State on Monday. But from what he was saying, it sounds like there's seven, eight, I think maybe even nine guys that could be vying for rotational minutes. He even mentioned 10, which I would assume um, would include Elijah Gertrude, who from talking to him sounds like he does not want to redshirt. Mm. Um, He said that the doctors gave him the green light um, and that he's just making sure that he's still healthy. But it sounds like just from talking to him that he does not want to redshirt. Christian Bliss confirmed that he will be redshirting. And sure. I did not get to talk to to Anthony Robinson, but the indications point to the fact that he will be redshirting as well. Um, Bennett also said not to just sort of go full um, sort of wrap up or just talk about the entire thing. But uh, he did mention that Blake Buchanan will probably have a big role on this team or at least a role on this team. Um, and talking to players, they've been impressed with him so far. I mean, I asked, I think, seven or eight players, you know, who's the hardest guy to guard? And then on the other end, who's the hardest guy to, to beat? And um, of the front court players, I asked Buchanan was included in all of those answers. Mm. So um, that feels notable. It's also not an extremely deep front court. So that's probably a part of it. But um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. This this seems like an exciting team. Um, this seems like a group that going back to Bennett's comments on the starters and the rotation, it does seem like there are probably 
like eight or nine guys who could like play 30 minutes in a game and then play 10 minutes the next game. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, if you, you start with McNeely, Beekman and Dunn, they're probably going to be 30 plus minute per game players for you. But then you got Dante Harris, Andrew Rohde, Jordan Minor, Jake Groves, Blake Buchanan. Um, trying to think if I miss someone. And then Elijah Gertrude yeah. and probably Tane Murray. Leon um, is in that sort of first group. And then Tane Murray and Elijah Gertrude, I think, are sort of on the fringe yeah. um, of, of that group of guys. So I think that just speaks to the depth on this team. It also speaks to the fact that you're waiting to see who steps up in a major way. And that's why I think that sort of these non-con games against a Florida, against a Texas A&M, a Wisconsin, SMU or West Virginia, I don't know. I, um, SMU is, you know, not not an ACC type school. So I don't know. We'll see. Um, now. That was the joke. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, um, but yeah, I think that that's what's going to be fun about this early part of the season is it's going to be, okay, who's playing well? They're probably going to play. Um, whereas last year it was just sort of this group of guys that we knew was coming back. So it's going to be a long game. Ben talked about that sort of like, let's stick to the long game and and keep March in mind rather than <laughs> November, which I think is how UVA fans are thinking as well. Um, uh-huh. So yeah, we'll see. Well, yeah. I mean, they start with a uh, Tarleton state on Monday, but Florida right after that on Friday, um, 7 PM. Uh, that, I mean, that's, I don't know that the Gators are, projected to be any better than virginia i think they're both sort of in that fringe like oh they, they could be good they usually are but we're not so sure type of deal but i mean that's a that's a big name brand opponent um to get some answers yeah I definitely i mean i think and you know hosting texas a texas a&m mm-hmm. um at home shortly thereafter wisconsin is always a fun game um Oof. Yeah, it'll be, yeah, I think we'll learn a lot about this team early. I also think that the results that you see in November and December will be very different from what we see in February and March. Uh, Just the nature of this team, the nature of having so many new players. It was funny walking around that gym, the number of guys that I had just not talked to before and sort of had to be like, hey, I'm Zach. Like, I don't think many of them really, even the guys who've been around know who I am, but at wow. least there's like some familiarity. I thought you had more so, of a presence. Uh, you know. Hey, I mean, a couple a couple guys were like, good to see you. And I was like, oh, <laughs> you might just be saying that, but yeah, good to see you too. They're um, polite. They're polite yeah. dudes on the team. They are. They've been waiting for me to come back and ask yeah. them questions, clearly of the 30 media people that were you know begging them for answers but yeah i don't know i uh yeah do we want to get into like a roster talk well we we haven't we haven't talked since the the preseason rankings for the conference and and Mm. to see them i was amused that they got a first place vote Um, it was probably caroline oh she didn't go actually never mind (laughs) i just just darn's vote in the acc it's everyone who's at the tip off i think oh that's how they do it so it's really not very reliable this is why duke is always first because it's probably mostly just duke and carolina people it's the acc media who can make it to the state of north carolina for uh, interesting oh get to look at that breaking insight like uh, why do we think duke and north carolina are always one and two are they typically that good yes but at the same time yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, Duke should probably be. That's probably who I would vote for with who they've yeah. got coming back, right? And and uh, you know, we saw what they're capable of last year with Filipowski. But uh, 
the fact that UNC is ranked above, I don't know, anybody on that list, or at least half the teams, is a, a, a hilarious, just like, this is why preseason polls are so stupid to begin with, but... I think cats cats had them ranked like number one in like like March Madness dark horses, and I was just like, okay, dude, come on, like get out of here. You just want you're just doing this for engagement. Just just even if they are, it's still North Carolina. They're not a dark horse, right? Exactly. They're not even that good. So it's like a double whammy of being wrong. I mean, Baycott's really good, yeah, but come on, like you can't just collapse that they did. (laughs) The collapse they did uh to to finish out last season and you're gonna you're gonna come back and uh so give them some first place consideration and a, a top four in the conference it's hilarious but you know uva as for it's sort of like uh yeah i guess that's unless they've got you know ty jerome and kyle guy coming back it seems to be where they'd like to vote virginia usually right there at, at four uh, you know at least in the top four but in that in that spot of well it's a Tony Bennett team, so this is pretty likely to happen. And, yeah, and because of all be the new wrong. faces, and they're not the new faces that UNC has at the top of the recruit rankings. So I guess that's that's some of it there too. But it seems like you know a team that has some depth, certainly talent, of course, but you know talent where it's not just relying on um, one guy is going to have to be the score. One guy's going to have to be the shooter. One guy's got to be out there because we don't have anybody else who can rebound, you know, stuff like that, that, that we suffered through a little bit th- through uh, different roster issues through the past two seasons. I said outside shooter. I think that's probably going to be the biggest question mark until proven otherwise. But, you know, we think McNeely can, can light it up. We think Groves can, uh, to some degree, we hope Rody can as well. I mean, and we hope Beekman's shot continues to improve. So, there's it, it, a lot of, like you said, there's a lot of ways this could go yeah. um, because of that depth and that versatility. So, I think we'll expect at least a solid month of going. Well, the lineup looks a little different <laughs> than it did yeah. last lot of, game. A lot of, lot of pregame tweets of tonight's starting lineup features so and so. And yeah, all of us beat writers trying to get the jump by watching the Jumbotron. It's um, just sort of fun. I mean, oh, know, yeah. As long as it leads to enough wins, it'll be fun. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely. I think that the, the nice part that, that what this, this roster with, with the depth and sort of the different types of player it has is that you can answer a lot of different questions a lot of different ways. Right. You know, like, okay, shooting is probably like the, you're not going to be able to fit a, you know, whatever you say, square pit, peg in a round hole or vice versa. Is that what it is? Um, well, it depends how big the square and the hole are, Zach. Yeah, that's Either fair. will fit in the, yeah. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I think, okay, do you need length out there? Like, are you playing yeah. a Duke team that's just bigger than you? Okay, we can throw Leon Bond and Ryan Dunn and Blake Buchanan out there. We can put Ryan Dunn in the quote-unquote backcourt. We can bring yeah. in Andrew Rohde on the floor at 6'6 to play shooting guard next to Reese Beekman, who's obviously got some length. Um, do you need to go small? Do you need to match small? Okay, we can roll with Bond, and I'm just naming Bond yeah, and yeah, Dunn yeah. here. But, you know, you can match up with people a lot of ways, assuming that Buchanan can be... Like there's a world in which 
Baycott just kills them, but it's not like he hasn't done that before. So it's not yeah. like it's not unique to this team. Um, well, there's also going to be it's going to be one of those. Well, every night could be a different night for who's yeah. carrying the load in the in, in, not just for res- all the responsibilities, but particularly scoring in the last yeah. two years. And this wasn't Jaden Gardner's fault. And I, I really enjoyed Jaden Gardner on these teams. But yeah. it seemed like the last couple of years was if Gardner isn't hitting his mid range, this team isn't you know they're good but they're not they're not at that could be elite and we saw of course flashes of could be elite and we also saw nights where they were bad and a lot of that had to do with consistent scoring options whether it be jump shooting or whether it be getting to the rim it never was outside shooting right and the most consistent scoring option they had was Jaden Garner hitting difficult shots which which he was quite adept at doing some games but you know no one's able to do that i mean he'd be he'd be making a lot of money if he was a guarantee to do it every night make those difficult turnaround jumpers right and yeah and so point being there's multiple options uh it it begins with beekman who who could have you know we wanted more from and and now has the, the opportunity ahead of him uh, hopefully to maybe be that option more nights than other guys on the team but it's okay if he isn't it, there, there's so much scoring talent hopefully in front of them that i think we're going to be like this was a minor game you know that where he took over in the paint like that it's entirely possible that uh we're going to cycle through six seven answers to you know who who led the scoring for the team this year so that'll be fun yeah i do think that as you said like i, I I think Reese, and maybe this is like a little bit of a hot take, I think it's going to be like a 13.5 point per game scorer, which I don't think happens a lot for UVA, at least hasn't maybe in in recent years as much. Um, It was actually interesting talking to him today. um, I asked him about sort of his mid-range jump shooting, because that was something that uh, we'd pinpointed in the offseason as something where, okay, he was a little bit weak here relative to his three-point shooting and free throw shooting ability like he could get to the rim he can hit a catch and shoot jump shot he can sometimes um hit a three off the dribble but Mm. typically when he's driving to the basket he's not pulling up and when he does he was very inefficient at that he was then three for five from the mid-range in the blue white game i think we mentioned Mm. that in our last episode and i asked him about that i was curious and he said yeah that was a big part of the feedback i got from the nba draft process Mm -hmm. um and so that's something that he's worked on specifically frankly probably of anything that he's worked on this offseason, it was that. Along with, they said, like he said, the other feedback he got was, you know, being more of a leader, taking on more responsibility, which I think we all sort of knew. Like we mm-hmm. assumed that, like, that was the, you know, the genesis of, of this reasoning for coming back, but big words. Um, but uh, I think that that was really notable and probably speaks to the fact that he could be that reliable scoring option and probably will be. I do. I, not that I'm disagreeing with your point that there's going to be different guys at different times stepping on, on this roster. That is absolutely the case. Um, but I do think that Beekman, with a more of a, an ability to score from all three le- levels, even if the mm-hmm. mid-range isn't sexy per se, um, I, I think that, that that will give this offense a higher ceiling and allow them to rely on Beekman more and more because he can do continue to, to just expand his offensive game and, and beat teams for playing him um, in different ways. There's no answer, I guess, for Gardner. Yeah. Well, sounds good. We'll, we'll find out some of the beginnings of that answer uh, in a week uh, against Tarleton state. Um, yeah. We'll, we'll be back next week to talk about that game, to talk about the Georgia tech game. Uh, happy Halloween. Zach, dude. 
you have a costume was was college party weekend this past weekend uh it was it was hollow weekend i i did not dress up i stayed home i was very sick last week i stayed home and wrote articles about virginia and slept so i did not have a costume but um if you want to make it up to me for not being able to dress up with my friends you can go to streakingalon.com and read all of our preseason basketball content all that sacrifice that you put in instead of having fun on the weekend well do do that stay tuned to speaking the line uh give us a a like uh and a a subscribe uh on itunes or wherever else uh, you're listening to your podcast a review a nice review would be nice and uh yeah we'll be back next week till then i'm pierce for everybody at the blog go hoos (laughs) 